Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, June 15th, we're studying Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 to 23. The Lord sends Jeremiah to observe a potter working and reworking his clay as a picture of the way the Lord works and reworks his own people and all the nations of the world. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guests, not just one, not just two, but three. We have Pastor Dustin Beck of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Morton, Texas. Pastor Beck. Good morning, Pastor Apple. Thanks for having us. Pastor Jason Casper of Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in LaGrange, Texas. Good morning, Pastors Apple and Beck. And Pastor Nate Hill of St. Michael's Lutheran Church in Winchester, Texas. Good morning, Pastors Apple, Beck, and Casper. All present and accounted for. Welcome to Smithville, gentlemen. Thank you. Glad to have you with us for a Sharper Iron round table. It's sort of of rectangular, though. And so is my desk. So two rectangles make a round table. That's what I was taught in geometry. We're talking Jeremiah chapter 18 today. And Pastor Beck, of the gentlemen sitting at the table, you're the only one that hasn't been on the series in Jeremiah yet. Oh, Pastor Pastor Hill's episode's coming up in a in a little bit. Pastor Casper helped us with Jeremiah seven, so sure. we'll give you the honors of of helping us with some context about Jeremiah, his ministry, his book, anything we need to know going into Jeremiah eighteen today. Sure, yeah, absolutely. So Jeremiah uh, did not have uh, an enviable job. He did not have uh, the kind of job that all of us were hoping for when we left seminary um, because he had to be the bearer of bad news. Uh, Many times throughout his ministry, um, he had to be the one that was calling people back to repentance. Now, uh, preaching uh, a Christian and in the Old Testament religion of God, uh, preaching is always a preaching of repentance and faith. Right. Um, there are times when you get to lean a little heavier into the faith side of it. And there are times when you get to lean a little heavier into the repentance side. And uh, unfortunately for uh, the prophet Jeremiah, um, a lot of his prophesying, a lot of his preaching ministry uh, is spent uh, calling Judah back to uh, God, calling them away from their idolatry, away from um, away from the way that they've been living their lives, um, which is doing whatever they want. Uh, looking at themselves as their own God, kind of a, a God unto themselves. And, uh, and so Jeremiah is, he's hated by many people. Uh, Jeremiah is a, it's a long slog. I, I applaud uh, Sharper Iron for going through uh, Jeremiah. We were just talking before we went on the air about, man, we should study, uh, study more Jeremiah in Bible class on Sunday mornings. And it's like, well, you know, uh, we like people to leave Bible class with smiles on their face and not with their, their head hung in, in terms of, you know, uh, this, this, this deep sense of, man, what a, what a wretched world we live in. Uh, there's hope in Jeremiah, to be sure, uh, but a lot of Jeremiah's, um, uh, the different sections of the book, uh, the different chapters and the different object lessons that we'll pick up on, um, especially one today. Uh, a lot of these are, uh, unfortunately, um, for I guess for Jeremiah, they're, they're a little harder for us to stomach because maybe it shows us our own sin and shows us the times when we are unrighteous and when we uh, go our own way instead of trusting in the Lord. 
several of the guests have asked me, you know, how's the study of Jeremiah going? <laughs> and I say it's it's going well. Yeah. I, I'm enjoying it. It's it's been a, a good journey. It's not it, you know, it's not typical Bible class material. Right. But I, I do think that reading a book like Jeremiah, this extended look at the last days of the people of God in the homeland of Judah, the all of the idolatry that was happening, the call to repentance. I think we need that. I mean, yeah. the Lord put it in the scriptures. Any any thoughts on, on the importance of reading text from scripture like this at length from Jason, please. Yeah, well, we just finished studying uh, first and second Kings at Mount Calvary. And, and that is this fits contextually right in the midst of all that. That is some really dark material. It's it's tough to hear about the downfall of Israel, but it's also important as as we're pivoting into into chronicles the recapitulation of that same history from the far side of the exile this is important for us to know because israel themselves and everybody who hears this needs to be humbled in their own understanding of themselves and in the walk of the faith right. this is not what what happens because you're a great nation this was what happens because we're an unfaithful nation and the return from exile too is what happens because god is faithful to us in our unfaithfulness and in our unbelief Pastor Hill, in terms of the, the text that we have before us in Jeremiah chapter 18, how does it lay out? What should we be looking for in terms of structure and the movement of this text? Right. What I like about chapter 18 is there is some movement back and forth between uh, God, Jeremiah, and the people of, of Judah. What happens is God first tells Jeremiah to go and watch the work of a potter at his wheel. And Jeremiah gets to take in this image of how a potter forms a vessel and sometimes takes that uh, un completed clay and and does away with it to start over with uh, a new a new lump for a new pot um, then what we'll see is Yahweh is going to speak through Jeremiah a prophecy to the people where he will apply the meaning of what Jeremiah has seen to the situation that the people find themselves in um, essentially he's going to say that they're like the lump and the potter is able to do what is good to him and the way that he will decide is whether uh, the lump has spoiled itself it will go back and um, and not be formed into the vessel but if it if it seems good the Lord will form it up and and that's all based on um, adherence to to God's law here and especially his uh, commandment of the first commandment to have no other gods and not fall into idolatry what will happen then is the people are going to reply to Jeremiah's words from Yahweh, and they're going to essentially reject those words that are there, at which point we'll hear the Lord respond to their rejection with a judgment against them. Finally, after that, the people will respond again, and this time they'll turn against Jeremiah himself as a man, uh, becoming angered at the prophet for the message that he's bringing. And finally, Jeremiah will pray uh, a prayer of judgment or imprecation against the people to God, asking that they would be thwarted and destroyed in their evil. So with that introduction, let's take a look at the text from Jeremiah chapter 18, beginning at the first verse. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, 
And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do. And if in it, and if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. Now, therefore, say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return every one from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. That was through verse 11 of chapter 18. So Pastor Beck, let's talk a little about where the Lord sends Jeremiah at the beginning. He sends him to a potter's house. What's what's happening here? Sure. So um, he sends him to a place, and, and obviously in the ancient world, um, I mean, this is these are the artifacts that they're still finding today from the ancient world. You know, pot shirts, broken pieces of pot, uh, pottery, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm not I've never really done any kind of pottery type things or, or working with clay, but my kids play with Play-Doh quite a bit. Um, I, I understand the process, I think. Um, and, and yet you you see this creative act in front of you and things don't always go according to plan. Right. Um, uh, unfortunately, sometimes uh, it, it topples over sometimes. And this is actually uh, according to a fancy study Bible that I was using. Um, this is the only time that we're introduced to the, the idea of the concept of a potter's wheel. Right. Uh, where it actually spins the pottery, uh, you know, the, the pottery. Um, so, uh, yeah, he goes into this situation. He goes into this place and uh, and Jeremiah is given this object message where he's supposed to. He's given the instructions to look and to hear to see the potter and then to hear the word of Yahweh. Okay. And so I, I think this is, this is fairly typical in Jeremiah's prophecy is that a lot of what Jeremiah is, is asked to do by Yahweh uh, is, is going to be visual in nature. Okay. It's going to be, um, he is called to, uh, to lie down on one side. Uh, he is called to, uh, to build a little uh, model of Jerusalem and then smash it up and things like that. I think those are Ezekiel. Is that Ezekiel? I'm not sure though. We haven't gotten to them yet in Jeremiah, and I haven't read the whole thing. I don't want to spoil it. You put it. me on the spot. Well, you put me on the spot. I put myself on the spot. Someone Google it for us. Somebody, no, some, it's worth a Google. Not, are we live? Back. We, are we, live. Are, we are live. Oh, I know. <laughs> I, I, I Nevertheless. Both, both Jeremiah and Ezekiel are known for these They're known visual for these visual so, prophecies. Yes. Um, and so what we see in front of us here is another of these visual prophecies uh, where Jeremiah is – here, uh, he is called to, uh, to be in this place and to, to watch and to listen. And as he watches and as he listens, the point is made clear uh, that the call is to repent. All right. Uh, this is similar to um, the uh, plea to uh, repent that uh, yeah, comes in Ezekiel 18, um, also uh, all the way uh, in Jonah chapter 3. Um, when you repent, God will relent. When you walk away from your sinful ways, God will relent of the disaster that he is promising. Uh, so uh, the problem here uh, that Jeremiah is experiencing and that God is, is speaking towards him uh, is uh, that there is this rampant idolatry. So that's, uh, that's kind of where we're at here in terms of the setting and the scene of this vision. Uh, or not a vision, but the actual object message. Come and see come and listen. And the point that he's supposed to be getting across is that as this, this potter is here and he's working the clay and everything else, and it doesn't always go according to plan. Um, here we are. Uh, God is saying, listen, you guys are the vessel um, and things are not going the way that they should. Uh, so repent. Mm. So fact, fact checker here. Yeah. The lying on the side 
and the that, model of Jerusalem. That is, that is Ezekiel. Yeah, that is Ezekiel. Yeah, fair okay. enough. It's been a while. Well, and it's, and it, it's that's been a while. Maybe we'll have to study to Ezekiel later. Yeah, there's a, there's that a fine too. idea, yeah. <laughs> well, and, but I, I think it's, it, it's, it is important because and sometimes it's hard to keep straight which prophet did what. Right. I know that, that for me, this is one of the places where my Old Testament history is not as good as it should be as to which, which prophet did what. But both Jeremiah and Ezekiel are known for this visual prophecy symbolic prophecy where the Lord actually gives them the object lesson. So, let, I mean, let's talk about a little of the usefulness of that when the Lord does that, whether to Jeremiah or to Ezekiel. Sure. Pastor Hill, what, what is the, the usefulness of an object lesson? Why does the Lord choose to do this with his prophets? Yeah, object lessons hit us in a way that's different than just a pure spoken word. When we stop and uh, we probably all had this experience on the way out of church one day, somebody says, I really enjoy enjoyed it when you said in your sermon X, right? And you realize actually you said that in the children's sermon, <laughs> right? Mm, that's that's yeah. the time where you realize you're talking to the adults as much as the kids. Um, so what you see there is that the visual and and something that occurs with, with something in time and space that's tangible is memorable in a particular way. I think it's interesting that God told Jeremiah to go all the way to the potter's house. And he didn't just say, you're kind of like, a potter at a wheel. He could have just explained it to him and told him what it was in his ears for him to try and imagine, but he goes there and he sees. So it adds another level of, of impact, I think, that's there. What else is interesting about this section is this reminds me very clearly of the parables of Christ in the New Testament. This is uh, basically a parable of the potter. And the thing that we remember when we're reading the parables is that a parable is meant to teach one main point. It's not meant to be an allegory. Like an allegory is where every little detail corresponds to something. A parable teaches one main point. So like on this one, as I read it, the strange thing to me is that the uh, the clay is spoiled in the potter's hands, right? So we'd think if we push it too far, well, the potter kind of screwed up, right? He didn't fashion the vessel correctly. Not the point of what's going on here. The point is that the potter has the right to, to form and destroy. And here we see that the clay are are the people, and they will be judged in that way based upon whether they conform or rebel against God's will for them. So, I mean, in terms of the way the, the image that Jeremiah sees, what, what the Lord presents to him in this potter at his wheel, is that there's there's two points of comparison, I think. One is that the potter has control over what he's making. And the second is, depending on how the clay responds to his shaping, that is influences what he does with the clay, at least based on the the way that the Lord explains it to Jeremiah. Though, is there anything that I'm missing? Did I say too much there? What do you think? No, back to the Plato metaphor. Some Plato gets dry, right? <laughs> um, I don't, that's probably pushing it too far as well. But the problem that we see is for sure in the clay itself, not in the interaction of the potter with the clay. Well, and also, I mean, as, as part of the, the analogy that's being drawn here is that it's it's not useful for the purpose that the builder, the master intended it. Mm. Right. But there's also in this analogy, this this notion that that clay is kind of a living material, even though it's clearly not alive. It it functions in a way that it can change state while it's in use. And though it's spoiled, the correction for the spoil is not to throw it away. The correction for the spoil is to, is to start over, remake it, refresh it with water, let it dry out some, change the, the consistency of it and work it more. Mm. And that's and that really is that's the that's the function of what Jeremiah is doing in his prophecy is remaking the clay. 
Turn from your sin. Don't do this. Go this other way instead. This is he's he's the water that's refreshing this dry, useless clay that's not conforming to the work the potter is putting in. So as as Jeremiah then is given the word from the Lord to explain this, how does how do we see these things come up? First of all, what do we what do we see about the Lord and his I guess we could use the word sovereignty over the clay, over what's happening both in Judah and Jerusalem and nearly in any nation of the world? He's coming to destroy Judah. <laughs> and well, he's sending Jeremiah to warn everyone. This is, I mean, it, it, that's the whole notion of Jeremiah. There is just this constant theme. Destruction is coming. Please don't make me destroy you. I really don't want to destroy you. Please, please don't make me do this. You guys have children. You know what this is like. You're, 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 you're standing at the doorway. Don't make me come in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, now that's, but that's not where Jeremiah leads with or that's not what the lord leads with he he doesn't talk about i think there's there it seems there's two things that the lord can shape he he can shape the nation and depending on whether that repents of the good or turns to the evil he'll shape one way or the other but then he does get to the shaping of disaster that comes at the end so what about this this shaping in response to how the people you know respond to what he's saying to them not sure if I'm following you completely, but here's what I'm going to say in response. Please. <laughs> um, Sometimes I don't ask good questions. <laughs> no, uh, I'm, I'm only half the way through my coffee. The point I, I see here is he says, oh, house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, right? Like the clay, you're in my hand. Right. If I declare to a nation that I will pluck them up and break down and destroy them, which that's the, the state they're in now. He has declared that to them. Now he's turning and saying, if the nation then turns from its evil, I will relent, right? So the condition at hand is he has made his proclamation of judgment multiple times already here in Jeremiah. Really, we might say the lot has been cast. However, still his mercy is there to reform the clay into something new, provided that they relent of repent of their evil. He relents of the destruction that's planned. So I don't know if that's what you're getting at, but that jumps out to me for sure that he leads with this notion that the door is not yet closed, even 18 chapters into Jeremiah. Now, ultimately, we know how it plays out, uh, but it, it gives us a glimpse into his attitude towards his people. And I think this is also helpful for posterity, right? This is helpful for us here, you know, centuries and, and millennia later to be able to look back. And, and we can't, you know, you can't say that God didn't warn his people. You can't say that God didn't didn't lay it out. You continue on the course that you're going, and you know this is the path that leads to destruction, right? Um, and so, you know, God grant that we would be a little wiser uh, when we see that, and that we would uh, take the words of Jeremiah to heart, and that we would repent, right? Um, uh, lest we um, lest we shipwreck our faith, right? So the the first image, and I don't remember what I was asking before, but if I'll try to follow, it's a good question. Thanks. I don't know what you were asking. Sure, it was good. <laughs> The first, the first point is that if you've got a nation that the Lord has said, I'm going to destroy you. And, and notice, and I think, Pastor Beck, you had mentioned this in your notes, that the language here is language particularly shaped to Jeremiah's call back yeah. in chapter one. Right. So the verbs that the Lord chooses to use, this plucking up, breaking down, destroying, sure. these are the things that the Lord told Jeremiah his word was going to do through Jeremiah. So the, the first nation, if the Lord's declared that nation's going to be destroyed, that nation repents, the Lord will relent, which that's where Israel, Judah is right now. They've been told that and the Lord's looking for repentance. But you also get the flip side of it too, which I think 
is maybe how Israel got into this mess in the first place, thinking we've got the Lord's promise. We're not going to have any trouble. They lived how they wanted. And the Lord says, no, that's not how it works either. <laughs> Thoughts? I didn't ask a question that time. Yes. No. Yeah, we, yeah, that was a great statement. Indeed. Thanks. Yeah, and that's uh, maybe that was part of uh, of what we should have done in the opening verses or in the opening uh, dialogue was to talk about the fact that um, uh, the themes of Jeremiah include the plucking up, the breaking yeah. down, the destroying, uh, but also the building and the planting of a nation. And those same themes that are all the way back in uh, in Jeremiah chapter one, they're here today as well uh, because th this is what God does. Right. Um, and this is the way that he does this um, is, first of all, through his word, right, through his prophets and his preachers. Um, and then ultimately um, through his his will that he performs uh, by in this case, it'll be by the ba Babylonians, uh, you know, in a, in a couple of decades. <laughs> but, um, you know, he works uh, through his word uh, to break down, to build up. He works through his law and his gospel uh, to call us to repentance and ultimately to faith in him. One, one thought that came to me as I was reflecting on the image of the Lord as the potter, and we said that the Lord as the potter means that he's sovereign. He can do what he wants with that clay that's in his hand. But that doesn't mean that the Lord is capricious, that he right. just does whatever he wants. And, and he actually tells us what he's going to do ahead of time, which I, I find to be a, a great comfort that, you know, on the one hand, he can do this. And I don't get to argue with what he he does do. But he told me what he was going to do in the first place. And he does that because of his his grace and mercy. Any reflections? Yeah, no, I think that's uh, a comfort that we have, especially in our own Lutheran tradition, is understanding that God binds himself to his word, right? Mm -hmm. He's not unknowable in the way that the philosophers might view him, but he has bound himself to his promises and his declared word. And that doesn't negate any of his immutable attributes, right? right. He, he is everything that he says he is. Yet certain things seem good to the Lord, right? It seemed good to the Lord to to reform the vessel um, after having, you know, uh, taken it and put it into its old lump form and bringing it back up again. So you're right. We, we balance the sovereignty of God always with the promises that God makes. And I think that is a good way to put it, that he's, he can do anything he wants, but he's not capricious. I like that. Yeah. Pastor Beck, you looked thoughtful. Oh, thank you. Would you like to share oh, your thought, yeah. thoughtful I, thoughts? I, I suppose I can. I was just uh, thinking along the lines of you're, uh, you know, emphasizing the fact that God is the potter here and a potter is a potter for a purpose. Right. Um, and so he's going to make pottery that is useful. That's the point of being if, if he's <clears throat> if he's engaging in some kind of modern art using clay or Play-Doh, if you will, you know, and he's, he's making something that looks kind of like a snake or a dragon or looks kind of like an animal like my kids like to make with Play-Doh. I mean, that may be fun, but that's not what a potter does. A potter is actually creating something. And so I, th I think that when we look at the, and maybe we're stretching the analogy a little too far here, I'm getting looks from everyone in the room, uh, but God is going to act according to what he has, has said, as Pastor Hill just pointed out. Um, and so he's, he's not doing this just for no reason. He's doing this for actual utility, right? And the utility is that he would raise up people who would do his will, 
he would raise up people who would perform righteousness. That's such a huge theme throughout the Old Testament that we would care for the widow and the, the orphan, that we would care for uh, for the poor, that we would uh, love the, uh, the stranger within our gates. Those are the kind of people that God is forming. And when those things don't take place, it's not because of God, it's because of our faithlessness. It's because we are not faithful to what he has called us and created us uh, and made us to be. So, yeah, I think that that, <clears throat> that factors in when we're talking about uh, the, uh, the work of a potter, um, that we are his workmanship, we are his craftsmanship, um, and so are uh, supposedly, supposed to be, so are the people of Judah. Um, and when they fall down on the job, when they fall away, um, that's not God's fault, um, but it is, he, he's not going to bend his standards if that makes sense he's he's not going to create junk he's not going to allow junk to leave his potter shop i guess right. yeah he's he's the potter he forms the clay as he wills and he does so according to the word that he reveals the word that is preached by jeremiah so we're going to take our break here on sharper iron you're listening to us talk about jeremiah chapter 18 the pastor's two rectangular tables in smithville texas we'll be right back please stick around The trained soldiers of the Army National Guard are a new generation of leaders called to serve and make a difference. Do you want to make a difference? During our Hiring Days event, May 10th to June 14th, we're hiring highly motivated candidates for part-time careers in the Army National Guard. You can work or attend college full-time while you earn a paycheck and great benefits. Learn more about serving part-time in the Army National Guard at nationalguard.com slash hiring days. Sponsored by the Missouri Army National Guard. Aired by the Missouri Broadcasters Association at this station. Hi, I'm Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager at Lutheran Church Extension Fund. As Lutherans, we strive to grow in Christ in our daily lives. Take time this summer to join us for our summer webinar series titled Growing in Christ. You'll discover how to grow strong and healthy physically, spiritually, and mentally, and finally put it all together in how you can serve your neighbor also. Check out lcef.org slash webinars for more information and join us this summer. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, June 15th. We're studying Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 to 23 with Pastor Dustin Beck of Holy Cross Lutheran in Warda, Texas, Pastor Jason Casper of Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in LaGrange, Texas, and Pastor Nate Hill of St. Michael's Lutheran Church in Winchester, Texas. Prior to the break, we looked at the image that the Lord puts before Jeremiah, sending him to the potter's house to watch the potter work the clay on the wheel and apply that to the Lord as the potter, doing what he wills with his people, forming them, breaking them down, planting them, building them, calling them to repent of their idolatry. The people respond in verse 12, which is where we pick up the text in Jeremiah chapter 18. But they say, that is in vain. We will follow our own plans and will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. Therefore, thus says the Lord, ask among the nations who has heard the like of this. The virgin Israel has done a very horrible thing. Does the snow of Lebanon leave the crags of Syrian? Do, do the mountain waters run dry, the cold flowing streams? But my people have forgotten me. They make offerings to false gods. They made them stumble in their ways, in the ancient roads, and to walk into side roads, not the highway, making their land a horror, a thing to be hissed at forever. 
Everyone who passes by it is horrified and shakes his head. Like the east wind, I will scatter them before the enemy. I will show them my back and not my face in the day of their calamity. And we'll pause there. That's through verse 17. So, Pastor Casper, we'll turn to you. Actually, yes, I, don't, I don't have to turn because you're sitting right in front of me. What's the people's response to this word from the Lord? <laughs> they, they, they're not going to hear it. They're not going to follow it. And, and the, the language used here in, in response is, is it's that prophetic language. We hear so much of the Sixth Commandment language in talking about Israel's faithfulness to the Lord as if it's this husband and wife relationship, which is exactly the language we're going to get in the New Testament specifically. But it, this is already established long through the prophets that, that Israel is faithful or unfaithful to the Lord just as a husband and wife are faithful or unfaithful to each other. And, and, that's how intense and how important this relationship between the God, between the Lord and his people is that, that they're turning away from him is like an adulterous turn away from, from our spouse. That, and that's where Israel's going. They're taking this, this other turn. Nope. We're not going to be faithful. We're going to go this other way. We're not going to hear the word of the Lord. That image of, of Israel as an unfaithful wife dominated much of the first couple of chapters of Jeremiah. And it does show up here again. Pastor Hill, in terms of the people saying this is in vain, what's the the sin that's going on here behind them calling the word of the Lord vain and saying, we're just going to go our own way? Yeah. So, I mean, at first we would say it's idolatry and, and whatnot, breaking the first commandment. All that is very true. But in a, a more specific sense, the sin we're talking about is this desire for autonomy, right? Um, to be autonomous is to be a law unto ourselves, to be the source of the pattern and direction of our own life, rather than to receive that pattern and direction of our life from outside of ourselves. We, we seek it from within. And it's an important thing to, to pay attention to here in the text is that they believe they know better than God or they disregard that God is, is a thing to be reckoned with or a person to be reckoned with at all. And it's easy to draw some pretty quick comparisons, I think, to our own day. I think a lot of the hopelessness that we have in our society, especially amongst younger people who have really been trained to be skeptical of, of any type of religious structure or viewpoint, is that people out there have to invent their own reality and pattern for life um, in themselves. And, and ultimately, I think that leads people towards despair. So what looks good at first, which would be that we might make our own way in life, ends up becoming something that's that's very, very hopeless uh, in the end. So I think that's the big thing. They'll follow their own plans. Everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart, and the results of that will be no good at all. I, I agree. Any, any, We're working on that popping sound, by the way. I don't know where that's coming from, but it doesn't appear. Everyone here is puzzled as well. So we're, so we're, gonna, we're all hearing that then. That's right. That's oh. not, Yeah, and we're live. That's it's both not good just and me. bad. <laughs> Pastor Beck, you, you again looked thoughtful when Pastor Hill was talking about autonomy and the danger that it presents both to the people of Judah and to us still today. Right. I, I, find, it, I find it interesting that uh, verse 12 uh, constitutes the entirety of the response that is given. And then God just unloads over the course of verses 13 through 17. Right. Um, so they, they say this is vain. This is worthless. This is meaningless. As we hear in Ecclesiastes. I think I got that book right. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is worthless, meaningless. Why should we listen to God? Uh, why should we hear this word that Jeremiah is preaching to us? Instead, we're going to go our own way. <clears throat> and what we find is that you go your own way. Um, you're not walking according to God. 
God's word, according to God's will, according to God's uh, his plan. Uh, and things don't go well for you. That's that's the um, the brokenness of this way is that that's the original sin of Adam and Eve is to be a law unto themselves, to to try to be gods themselves. Um, and that just perpetuates through all of Adam and Eve's children uh, up until Christ. Right. So we have this uh, this unfolding and this continuation, this stubborn continuation of we will follow our own plans. Um, and, and then, yeah, he adds then uh, there, uh, according to the stubbornness of his own evil heart. Uh, I wonder if that's their words or if that's maybe Jeremiah editorializing a little bit will allow the prophet to speak thus. Um, again, um, Jeremiah is a visual prophet. And so when the Lord responds back, you know, uh, you have these these very uh, visual kind of scenes uh, about uh, the virgin who has done this horrible thing. Uh, the snow of uh, Lebanon, the crags of Syria on this talking about uh, these two great mountains. Um, and how is the, the snow uh, going to go from one mountaintop to the other mountaintop? Uh, how will the waters run dry um, if. You know, uh, if the mountains are going to be covered in snow always, which they were, right? Um, how will these things, uh, how will they ever dry up? Well, that's, God is saying it basically doesn't make sense. It's, it's despicable. It's, it's terrible. Um, it's contrary to creation, uh, what's going on here. And say in the same way, um, my people have forgotten me, God says. They make offerings to false gods. Um, he says that's just as unthinkable um, as mountain streams uh, flowing uphill or as one mountaintop's uh, um, snowfall um, uh, melting and then going up another mountain. Uh, just It's completely um, nonsensical. And yet I think that's, that's a good way of describing idolatry. Right. Uh, instead of worshiping uh, the God of creation, the God who made us and formed us and the God who is truly God, uh, all powerful. Instead, we're going to go and worship not just created things, but the guy in the mirror. I mean, that's the ultimate in terms of things that just don't quite make sense. And I don't know that they ever will make sense to us. And yet we keep being idolaters ourselves. We keep slipping into sin. We keep having uh, the very same problems that Jeremiah is calling us to repent of. So the, the questions in verse 14, this matter of, you know, does the snow leave the crags? Does the, yeah. the mountain water, the answer to those questions is, well, no, that would never happen. Right. So why in the world do my people forget me? How could they make such a foolish mistake? It, it emphasizes the the nonsensicalness right. of their idolatry. What about some of those those other images that we see the the stumbling of the ancient roads, the the being, and then the it really turns into judgment and horror in verses sixteen and seventeen in this section. Other other thoughts on the images that we see here in this text? Yeah, I'm seeing I'm seeing more in this judgment that is uh, that is along the lines of what's going on in the response in twelve too. What we're finding in the stumbling of the roads and going on to the side roads instead of the highways. This is this is the people following the stubbornness of their own hearts. And I think both both pastors Hill and Beck were touching on this a little bit in 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 our age in our in our isolated self world. This is this is a thing that we're absolutely experiencing and seeing among among people today. Most it's 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 been much more acute recently because of the the recent unpleasantness with that infection that went around, but there there was this other there is this other issue with with folks turning inward onto devices and onto other onto other selfish isolatory practices, and that's all separated from the the gathering of the faithful together, which is a which is a unique thing that is that is only present around the word of God in the gathering of the people. 
and that speaking both to Israel in this era, in this age, and to us in our age, this separation to ourselves is following away onto the side roads rather than gathering together and hearing and hearing the word. And for those that are lost on those sideways, that's the thing that is the solution too: gathering together and hearing the word as a, as a people together as God's people. And I, I just wanted to I, I wanted to piggyback off of that because I think you're absolutely right um, in saying that uh, you know this is a problem for our day, but this is a problem for all people. I mean, one one other detail that I think is is really kind of it's it's telling to the point that we're all trying to make here. Um, that's in verse thirteen. <clears throat> I glossed over this just a minute ago. The Virgin Israel has done a horribly wrong thing. Well, I mean, if I'm not mistaken. Most of Jeremiah's prophecy is against Judah. It's against the people of Jerusalem. This is the divided kingdom time. This is um, this is several decades after um, Israel has already been captured by the Assyrians. They're gone. And then all of a sudden, uh, this prophecy is once again a word against Israel, who has done a very horrible thing. And I think that that's to say that that God's judgment is universal in terms of everyone who is called to be the people of God have stepped away from that. They've they've left it. They've left God's way and God's will behind. Um, and so, you know, although he's preaching specifically against Judah, he's going to widen his gaze a little bit and say, um, everyone who is the people of God has has struggled and walked away. Yeah, and I think that no notation of the Virgin Israel probably also harkens back to the fact that when Israel was in her virgin form, it was when she was united, right? Not necessarily that he was talking to the South a moment ago and the Northern Kingdom now, um, but the fact that this has gone off the rails long ago when the people were supposed to be united as as the tribes altogether. I guess the other thing I see in verse 15 is where it says, my people have forgotten me. They make offerings to false gods. They made them stumble in their ways. Um, you know, the offerings that you give to an idol oftentimes are a lot more fun than the offerings that uh, are are supposed to be given in the Old Testament. I mean, the practices of, of how you would sacrifice to, to idols draw people in because they play upon your own naturalistic desires, right? Um, drunkenness that would be involved and, and all kinds of sexual depravity and things like that, too. So I think maybe we're also seeing there this metaphor of being drunk in idolatry. Um, leaving the temple, having worshipped a false god, and stumbling in the road. Go ahead, Pastor Beck. I agree. <laughs> well said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so one one more thing I want to pick out of this section is at the very end, just the the horror of this right. it includes the Lord turning His face away from His people, showing them His back, which in, in my mind. It goes to the ironic benediction that the Lord would turn his face upon his people is right. a great grace. But for him to turn his back against them shows just just how foolish, again, nonsensical their idolatry really is. Any final thoughts on, on that or this section as a whole before we move on? I'm getting blank stares, so we're gonna we're gonna go on into the next section. So in verse 18 now, Jeremiah chapter 18. Then they said. Come, let us make plots against Jeremiah, for the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come, let us strike him with the tongue, and let us not pay attention to any of his words. Hear me, O Lord, and listen to the voice of my adversaries. Should good be repaid with evil? Yet they have dug a pit for my life. Remember how I stood before you to speak good for them, to turn away your wrath from them. Therefore, deliver up their children to famine, 
and give them over to the power of the sword. Let their wives become childless and widowed. May their men meet death by pestilence. Their youths be struck down by the sword in battle. May a cry be heard from their houses when you bring the plunderer suddenly upon them. For they have dug a pit to take me and laid snares for my feet. Yet you, O Lord, know all their plotting to kill me. Forgive not their iniquity, nor blot out their sin from your sight. Let them be overthrown before you. Deal with them in the time of your anger. That's the rest of our text for today. That was verses 18 to 23. So the text that we've got here now starts with a response from the people listening to this word from the Lord. And now they're not going to respond to the Lord, excuse me, to Jeremiah. No, they're not going to respond to the Lord. They're going to respond to Jeremiah. Pastor Hill, tell us a little bit about that first response there in verse 18. Yeah, this is so interesting, the way that they plot against Jeremiah, because the reason that they say they're plotting against him damns them by their own words, right? He, he says, we're gonna, they say, we're going to plot against Jeremiah because the law is not going to perish from the priest, right? He's always going to walk in that. The council's not going to perish from the wise, nor the word will perish from the prophet. So this is a sign of Jeremiah's faithfulness that this adversity is rising up against him. But sometimes... I think when when Christ was being spoken against, the idea was he's a blasphemer, right? You say that he's doing the wrong thing when he's really doing the right thing and you cover it over with falsehood. Well, here they're acknowledging right out that we're going to persecute him because he's speaking the word of the Lord. They're not even trying to cover it over with a veneer of their own righteousness. So that's really quite a thing that um, they don't want to hear the word of the Lord and therefore they're going to speak against Jeremiah. Pastor Beck, why does the world respond to the word of the Lord like we see the people respond to Jeremiah's preaching here in verse 18? Well, because the world is rebelling against God. The world wants nothing to do with, uh, with God's ways and with um, God being God, right? Um, the world doesn't like to be told it can't do something. That's, that's, that's fundamental to um, the rebellion into sin and, and the rebellion that has, uh, has uh, funneled down through, the, uh, through time uh, is the fact that when God says no, we say, well, why not? When God says, don't do this, do that, um, we say, I think I'll have it my own way. Um, and so, yeah, as Pastor Hill said, it, it, is, um, it is stark here. Uh, you don't necessarily expect this, um, that they're, they're angry with Jeremiah and they know that he's right. You know, I mean, that's that's pretty bold. Um, and yet I, I think that that's that hasn't stopped. I think that people, you know, you look at some of the uh, the more contentious arguments that exist uh, in in society and in the world today. And it's clear to people uh, what the truth is. And yet people will still say, uh, but I feel this way. <laughs> I'm going to go the other way instead. Right. Uh, and so that's that's something that we're always going to war against, I guess, this side of eternity. Um, and that's why it's so important for us um, to uh, to be broken down, to be crushed, uh, to uh, repent and to believe. Right. And what do we do in unfaithfulness? We, we double down. It's not enough to turn away from the word of God. We have to then strike back with the tongue and slander against the word of God. And that's exactly you're right on track back when you're when you're talking about what we see in the world around us. The world isn't isn't content to merely turn away from God. It's that we have to not only turn away, but we have to then say that's evil. That's wrong. That's wickedness. That's what that's what bad people do. You Christians are hateful people or worse yet. We aren't being nice when we do X in the church as if the, the faithfulness of, of the Christian church isn't a good thing. 
It is what, what Christianity looks like. It is what faithfulness looks like. But when we rebel, we rebel and we strike back with our tongue against the word of God in, in the way that he teaches us. We teach back with that unbelief. I think the other thing that's interesting here is as Jeremiah prays, the structure of his prayer is very interesting to me. So the first thing he does is he asks the Lord to hear him, but on the basis of his own faithfulness. I think that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Mm -hmm. we, we might be a little uncomfortable with that. I don't usually begin my prayers with, hear me, O Lord, for I've done all of these righteous deeds and people are rising up against me. So it, it's an interesting biblical model. I don't think Jeremiah is um, bragging on himself, but yeah. I think he's just saying, I've done what you've asked me to do here, Lord. And I'm not seeing the results of that in the way that I thought. Um, can you help me out here and give me some clarity whether this is your will or not? Says, and also, I trust in your word. Yeah, 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 yeah. I trust in your word, and uh, good is being repaid with evil. Why yeah. should that be happening? So we see him appeal to that, and then he turns into a prayer of judgment against his adversaries. And I mean, it strikes me funny too because here in verse eighteen, his detractors say, "Let us strike him with the tongue," as if they're going to slander him. Right. And then, uh, man, he comes back full bore <laughs> with the things that he's acting, asking to happen to his detractors. So it seems to be asymmetrical warfare going on here in right. some ways. Um, I don't know if anybody else has any thoughts on that. Well, Jeremiah certainly had the spiritual gift of imprecation. <laughs> That's a big word, Pastor Beck. What is imprecation? I don't, I have no idea. Oh, okay. I'm just kidding. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a fancy term that refers to uh, a handful of the Psalms uh, that deal with these, these prayers um, that God would allow his judgment to fall on people. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's one of the hardest uh, types of genre in the uh, in the scriptures to read and to understand. Um, how can Christians read this and say, "Wow, that's that's what God's word says"? Um, and yet, it is. I think that there's something there's something raw and there's something beautiful um, about something as 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 hard to read as a prayer um, that your enemies and that the enemies of God would get what's coming to them. Right? Um, it it shows us that we as Christians and and Jeremiah, of course, as a as a prophet, um, that we're allowed to have emotions, that we're allowed to be upset about things, that we're allowed to cry out to God when there is injustice, when there is violence, when there is evil and suffering. Right? Um, and so that's effectively what this is: is uh, Jeremiah crying out and just kind of saying with exasperation what gives god <laughs> you know come on um uh, be be faithful to me as you have promised to be um and yeah that means that that some of these people are um you know i, I am praying for their destruction um of course he's already stated previously you know that god's will is that people would repent god's will is that people would come to the knowledge of the truth god's will is that people would be saved um but at the same time, uh, Jeremiah is allowed to express frustration. And I think we are as Christians as well. We're allowed to, I mean, you know, don't, don't pray that your neighbor would, you know, get hurt or something, but we're allowed to have, uh, to have, you know, these, these thoughts that just say, God, you know, this isn't fun. This, this sucks. I think I can say that on the air, right? Um, I didn't hear the bleep. Okay, good. <laughs> um, but we're allowed to say that things are not as they should be, and we're allowed to uh, to have uh, those emotions that that, uh, that that long for something greater, that long for God's uh, gracious visitation for His people. Well, I think you know when we pray for the salvation to come from the Lord, yeah. we have to recognize that that implies, and here Jeremiah makes it explicit, but that yeah. at least implies that there is going to be a judgment, a condemnation. And so to ask God to, to do what he said, 
to bring the salvation and to bring the judgment against people who literally are his enemies. I mean, right. these are these are not sort of, you know, oh, just they find themselves on the fence. These are people who have set themselves against him. That's not that's not wrong. It does strike us as as strange, particularly given some of the things that Jesus says in the New Testament, you know, pray for those who persecute you, bless your enemies. How how does I mean how does a prayer like this in Jeremiah eighteen and this isn't the only time we're going to see it in Jeremiah or in the Psalms how does a prayer like this you know go hand in hand with what Jesus says? Well, in in the case here, I think we brought up Jonah earlier. This is kind of the inverse of Jonah. Oh, yeah. Jonah is seeing repentance and he's he's unhappy with it. He wants the Lord's mm-hmm. hand to be firm on the on the Ninevites. Where where Jeremiah is, he's wanting the Lord's hand to be firm on it on on Judah, but it's not yet. It's not there. I, you, you sent me to preach to these people. Why haven't you acted yet? And and it's it's a time for for Jeremiah to stop and and realize that the Lord's time is the Lord's time, and and you you too as the prophet need to be patient. And and in his exasperation, his frustration, he calls out to the Lord to to bring down his his vengeance. But it's not time yet. Hmm. That that judgment is coming, and for us too, this this judgment at the end of at the end of all days is coming for all of creation. And our hope is that all of creation would turn from sin, and that all of creation would flee from unbelief and instead embrace the, the faith in in Christ instead. But that may not be the case for everybody. Hmm. Yeah, this reminds me of something in Romans 2, actually. And what we've seen here in this law gospel dynamic in the text is God has led with his kindness and grace against a rebellious people, and they've not responded. Uh, Romans 2, it's uh, verses 4 through 5 kind of step into this dynamic, too. Paul says, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? There's statement one there in Romans uh, two, but here, here come on the tail of that in verse five, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's this movement towards kindness and patience, hoping that this is going to lead towards repentance. And when the heart is proven to be hard, um, well, now we'll speak of what you really are storing up for you that you won't see today. But the reservoir is going to be there of this wrath that, that you stored up for yourself, provided you don't turn from those evil ways. So we can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way, I guess, is the way we might look at, at this text in Jeremiah and this dynamic overall. I do think one of the one of the struggles that we have reading a, an imprecation like this is goes back to what Pastor Hill started with, that Jeremiah leads with the matter of his faithfulness. And, and, I, and maybe this is just me, but the way it comes off sometimes is... What do you think you're better than them, Jeremiah? You're a sinner too. How how do you get to place yourself on that side, the quote good side, and place them on the bad side? Couldn't they pray the same thing about you? Which on the on the one hand, I I understand, but I think it, it misses the point of, of how Jeremiah can pray like that in his faithfulness. You know, you see King David do this in the Psalms where he'll he'll ask the Lord, search me, know me. You you know who I am, Lord, and, and give me these things. Which I think, you know, given the whole of Holy Scripture, we should understand these are, are prayers that are based not so much on the faithfulness that Jeremiah has in and of himself, but the righteousness of God that's covered Jeremiah or David, whoever prays this. And he prays in that confidence, not in his own. And I mean, to to put the prayer in that context, I think, or at least it, it helps me to to hold on to these prayers I still have, I mean, I'll, it, it would be hard for me to pray that even against my worst enemy to, to say that I hope you're childless. I hope your wife dies or, you know, not your wife dies, but that, that the wife becomes a widow. That That's a hard word. 
but I, I think when we put it in that full context, we can see where Jeremiah is coming from. And as Pastor Beck, as you said, the emotions that are there, you know, he doesn't try to hide them, but he simply cries out in those emotions to the Lord. Right. And he's, he's never, I don't get the impression that he's ever saying, you know, he's saying, you know, my faith, my faithfulness is great, but he's always couching it in who God is. He's always couching, you know, his, uh, his, his prayer, not in look at me, look at me, but in I'm the one that's looking to you. Right. And so this is a prayer of faith. Um, it's, it's difficult for us to read. It's difficult for us to, uh, to imagine a situation where we would ever have these, you know, make these words our own. Um, and yet we, uh, I, I, I just love the confidence that Jeremiah is able to have, that he's not confident in himself. He's not confident in his own ministry, uh, especially, but he's confident in the Lord. Right. And that's uh, there is a distinction there. I, I think that that's important to point out um, is that Jeremiah's confidence does not come from. Uh, well, yeah, I'm the I'm the pastor that gets to preach all the all the bad news sermons. Right. Because I got such a wayward flock. Now, um, I'm the pastor uh, who's going to preach the word of God. And that's enough. That's enough. It's not about Jeremiah. We have just under two minutes left here this morning, gentlemen, as, as we reflect on this chapter as a whole. I see some of you are passing to others. Let's let's reflect on the chapter as a whole. Let's let's try to tie this together. And and how do we see in a text like this, with all of its many contours, how do we see the preaching of Christ crucified and risen for us? Well, certainly there is no confidence um, uh, at all without Christ crucified and risen for us. It's in the act of of Christ crucified and risen for us, and us joined to that act in our baptisms that we are reformed ourselves, like a spoiled lump of clay is is reformed uh, into a new pattern, uh, into the mold and pattern of Christ. So uh, to me, I think the object lesson at the beginning, of course, can be something that we can superimpose, I suppose, onto what Christ has done for us in the New Testament, recognizing uh, that we are new creations in Christ. Uh, the old is gone and the new has come. And I just wanted to add uh, <laughs> that in the book of Jeremiah, uh, we almost have kind of this uh, this prophet who's unwilling to be moved by anybody else. Um, it reminds me of a lot of our rites of installation within the church. First Corinthians 15. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is never in vain. Uh, those are helpful words uh, that I'm sure the prophet Jeremiah understood and believed faithfully. And uh, we do as well. Pastor Dustin Beck is the pastor at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Thanks for coming over today. Pastor yes, Beck. sir. My pleasure. Pastor Jason Casper at Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in LaGrange, Texas. Thanks for joining us. And Pastor Nate Hill. Sorry, I, I had you muted still. Pastor. Yeah, Bill. Thanks for having us. Yeah. And Pastor Nate Hill from Winchester St. Michael's Lutheran Church. Pastor Hill. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this morning for Sharper Iron, our roundtable. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Jeremiah, comments on this series, we'd love to hear from you. Send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the app and the open mic feature to record up to a 60-second message. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.